What's up everybody, this is Grant at Cause Artist. Today we're gonna do a little bit of a bonus episode. I'm going through some tightening up of, of Cause Artist from a legal perspective. And I wanna have my, my lawyer friend on, Chris Brown, you know, really inspired by his story, quitting his traditional law firm to open up Venture Legal, which is really made for freelancers and startups. Really created a modern approach to, to a law firm. Um, where people don't feel overwhelmed and you know overpriced about getting the elementary and sort of foundational things for their business up and running. Honestly, it's just frustrating to deal with the legal side of things. But talking with Chris and, and seeing what he's built with Venture Legal and Contract Canvas, he's made it really, really simple for freelancers and startups to really get their legal status uh, ready to rock and roll so they don't have to worry about that stuff and they can concentrate on building their business. So I, I wanted to kind of talk to Chris and just get his story a little bit and, and kind of go through some questions that I had personally. And I was like, we might as well just record <laughs> this conversation since a lot of these questions I'm having and I'm, I'm asking, uh, others probably have too. Um, so he was very gracious of his time and answered a ton of questions. So I, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. It's a bit it's a bit different, right? So we do talk about entities that, you know, freelancers and solo entrepreneurs and startups should look at, should not look at, what stage of the process that their business is in. Maybe they should switch to something else, kind of depending on their, their tax status that they want to be in. But again, it's just a really enjoyable conversation. It was super educational for me. His story is really interesting, and it's also inspirational from being at a traditional law firm and looking at some of the outdated practices and saying, you know what, I think I could do this better, and making the leap and choosing to start his his own firm and own, own business. And that was seven years ago, and he's thriving now. So I think that point from an entrepreneurial perspective, too, is, is really valuable to hear and listen to because um, he really has some great insights on that and his decision-making that, that was involved in doing that. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Um, Cause Artist Pro is, is live and ready. And they have some amazing people joining. I'll link to it in the description, but it's causeartist.com slash membership. And Cause Artist Submit News is now out as well. So if you're a startup or social enterprise or organization has news and updates you want to share through Cause Artist, you can do that through the Submit News area. I'll, I'll link to that as well. Hope you guys have a great day. Have a great week. Uh, stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks. Bye. Usually how I like to, to start the, these conversations is about an individual's journey. Um, because usually we all have interesting ones and I think we all have backgrounds and, and, and sort of journeys that lead us to our, our life's work, so to speak, right? I think people, when I talk to individuals, they are deep into, you know, their own companies and, and building brands and, and sort of building things that will, you know, last, hopefully last a long time, right? And that takes a, a lot of work. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of sometimes own investment, right? So I guess walk us through, you know, your history and starting Venture Legal. And I think we can start maybe if you want to go back to college, right, maybe start there and then, then after that. Yeah. So my background actually before law school was in the music business. So I went mm -hmm. to undergrad in Nashville, Tennessee, a small college. Well, back then it was small uh, called Belmont University and right. majored in music business, specifically production. And then I went up to New York City and worked as a recording engineer for a while about six months or so after graduating college was when I first thought, hey, I should go to law school. Um, <laughs> the uh, industry was suffering a lot with copyright issues and, and I studied copyright and intellectual property in law school. So, or I'm sorry, in undergrad. Um, so I was like, hey, let's try out this law school thing. So I applied, got in, ended up coming back here to Kansas City where I'm from to go to law school. Everybody says you should go to school wherever you want to practice. And I knew I wanted mm. to practice here. So I came back. 
but anyway, so I studied entrepreneurship and intellectual property in law school, which is kind of what led me to do business and corporate work uh, as a lawyer. And so I started out at a small firm here in town. After about three years of being there, I just kind of got bored. I mean, the, the, the firm was great. The lawyers are great. I'm still friends with them, but I wanted to do something kind of different. So I resigned from there and I started two companies. I started a legal marketing company and that turned it into a website development business for law firms. And then I also started venture legal at the same time, largely because I needed to make money to have an, uh, you know, earn a living. <laughs> and I knew I could be a lawyer. So I just started my own firm and it wasn't really intended to become what it is. It was really just intended to be a side business. But uh, the legal marketing thing worked pretty well. I ended up selling that business in 2018. And along that path, venture legal just kept growing. And I kept getting new and uh, new work, more work, more clients. And what was exciting was it was a firm that was built around the way that I wanted to practice. So fixed fees, a very narrow focus and so on. And so, you know, here I am six years later, extremely happy with the firm that I built by accident. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's all working really well. So this is my primary focus, but I do have a few other things going on on the side, but pretty much all my income from my law firm. Yeah. What was some of the things that maybe you wanted to build differently, right? From, I mean, obviously like corporate law is going to be much different than whether it's like a boutique firm or very, like you said, very narrow firm where you're focused on one sort of subject matter. And although obviously, you know, startups is, is not a small thing, right? It's, it's, it's massive, right? But it's still really focused on doing a particular thing for a particular audience. So what was your learning, I guess, from, from being a traditional law firm? One, that you, that you took with you, but also like, what didn't you want to take with you? Yeah, yeah I did not want to take hourly billing with me mm, love it yeah uh, most most lawyers hate billing by the hour including myself most clients hate being most charged clients, yeah. by the hour yeah it doesn't really incentivize lawyers to be efficient so that was one thing but the other was just kind of how i run my business a lot of law firms they operate just like every other law firm has operated for the last 100 years you know chris brown attorney at law you know <laughs> brown and brown and brown and brown you know right, right. actually a law firm in i think there's a law firm in maybe georgia or north carolina they're like brown and brown and brown or something like that um <laughs> And I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to have a brand and I wanted to have a voice yeah. and an opinion. And I wanted to go out there and push for things that I thought were important, such as regulatory change in the legal industry or, or you know, back when I started, it was really pushing for startup friendly city regulations for things like Uber and Airbnb. So I wanted to have a, a an opinion, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, and then also just in the way I structured my business, you know, I, I saw how all these other freelancers and small businesses are structuring their business and how they bill online. They have online payments, kind of creating products, if you will, to sell. And so that's what I did. I said, yep. you need a single owner LLC. Okay. Here's the, here's the five or six step process. Here's what's included. Here's the fixed fee. Uh, you come in, you do it, you leave, and maybe you call me again and do more work, which is great. Or maybe I don't ever talk to you again, which is okay too. But just to kind of change the business model of a law firm and focus on being more of a business and less of a just a straight up traditional law firm. When you first started it, did you did you have sort of clients out the gate, right? Or did you? Because I, I think yeah, I think brand to me, I think what you said was so smart is that building a brand is 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 so important rather than doing the the brown 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 LLC, right? Or just using all these names and stuff like that. Uh, one, it's great for like SEO, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it's uh, but I, I think building a brand, there's so much more longevity there. Also, then you can. What's, what's really interesting about what you're doing too is that you also create the client base you want to work with, right? So you're not getting these like just abstract people call, right? Like with some weird thing that you have nothing to do with, right? Like usually the people you're talking to, you're going to you're gonna be aware of what they want. You could do it for them. 
you know, in an easy yeah. and professional way, right? So the branding part, I think, is is brilliant. And I think that's sort of innovative in a lot of different ways that, you know, you still kind of see this old model kind of still exist, right? Like it's not many people doing the sort of the, the branded side like like you're talking about. But back to the question was, I think when, when a lot of people want to start, you know, whether it's a freelancer, whether it's your own business, that first leap is really difficult, right? That leap yeah. from saying, yeah. I'm going to do it, quit my job. Um, and really do this is a huge step, a lot of pressure, right? Some stress there. What was that moment in time like like for you? Did you have clients lined up? My situation was a little bit unique because of what I was doing and what I was quitting to go do in that I was starting a legal marketing business. So I made the decision in October, 2013, that I was going to leave at the end of that year. So I had about three months, but I couldn't tell them yet. And I certainly couldn't go out there and start marketing because if I was selling legal marketing services to other law firms, mm -hmm. that would have been a, a big issue. So I couldn't do too much of that up front. I did have meetings with certain friends and lawyers out there trying to gauge interest and trying to get clients, but I did it kind of privately. Sure. Um, and I didn't sign on any clients until after I quit. Uh, in terms of being a lawyer though, uh, the interesting thing about lawyers is they cannot sign non-competes. So my law firm could not prevent me from taking all my clients with them or with me. Mm, interesting. Um, with that said, I had zero interest in burning any bridges. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really push to have clients follow me, but of course a lot of them did. Some of them I said, no, you should stick with that firm for whatever reason. Right. You know, they have better tax knowledge than I do or whatever. Uh, but the ones that I knew I could continue servicing, I, I totally was okay with them following me. But so, but that's, I'm, I'm a little bit unique in that regard because I'm a lawyer for not lawyers, you know, the first thing you have to think of is, do you have a non-compete? And does that really restrict mm. your ability to go out there and start whatever business you're about to start? Slightly related, uh, or not slightly, but very related is a non-solicitation, which be which could restrict you from soliciting uh, your prior employer's clients. So you may not even be allowed to take clients with mm, you. Gotcha. Um, so those are things that you'd want to think about. But in terms of trying to mitigate the risk, like you were talking about, my wife and I had about six months of living expenses saved up. Uh, we were saving up to buy a house and we said, you know what? Let's just um, take the risk and use that money to help me start my business. And that was probably the smartest thing uh, financially we've ever done. Um, so I recommend to people to start early and save up money and give yourself a three or a six month runway if you can, because you're right, it takes a while to get clients to sign up with you. And even after they sign up, then it takes a while to do the work and get paid. So you create that runway. The other thing is if you can do some moonlighting on the side. So say you work as a web developer at a agency and if you can do you know some websites and get some clients on the side without getting yourself in trouble with your employer mm -hmm. then you should do that you know learn learn what it's like to sell a service deal learn what deal it's with like clients too you know exactly learn how to deal with them learn how to invoice them and kind of get your feet wet and plus that's a little extra income that you might be able to put in the bank to help you launch so it, it's usually best to do that with that said i think what a lot of people don't appreciate is that there's never a perfect time to to start a business uh, I was tweeting about this just a couple of days ago. Like there literally is never a perfect time. Right. Uh, there's always going to be something that would be like, oh, I should wait another few months. So at some point you just have to make the call and make the jump and do it. Because if you wait around forever, it just, it, it, it gets harder. Like if I were to try to do it today with two kids, that risk is so much greater. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know that I would be willing to do it, but I made that jump before we had kids. And so our risk was pretty minimal. I mean, uh, we didn't have any serious responsibilities other than our mortgage and some car payments. So. <laughs> Let's get into like deep what sort of venture legal is, right? What what sort of products are available and sort of what kind of consultancy you give and, and maybe what, what type of clients that, that you have, right? 
I imagine, of course, assuming is always a bad thing, right? But they are, uh, you know, startups that are they're saying or coming to you say, hey, I got this idea or I'm actually going to start this business, right? What is maybe the proper legal structure I should go with, right? Like LLC, you know, C Corp, S Corp, there's all these different blah, blah, blah terms. And it's like, obviously they're important, right? But it's also like, it's boring to like read and learn and do all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. let's take like a, a typical sort of, of client that that walks in and kind of maybe what that process is like. Yeah. So my three main client bases are freelancers, you know, just independent contractors Mm -hmm. that are doing anything from marketing to selling products online, whatever. Uh, Startups, which is kind of like what you're talking about, you know, somebody who has a high growth potential company and then just general small businesses like restaurants, Mm -hmm. um, coffee shops, t-shirt businesses, whatever. Uh, For the startup clients in general, but this kind of applies to everybody in some ways. I usually recommend you start out with the most simple structure you can find, especially if it's just like two people starting a business together and mm-hmm. they're going to build an app. Mm-hmm. The traditional wisdom is to create a Delaware C Corp because yep. if you're in Y Combinator or you're out in Silicon Valley or whatever, all the VCs are going to say, go to Delaware and make a C Corp because Delaware has business friendly laws. Pretty much all Fortune 500 companies are incorporated there. What, um, quickly, what do you... What do you mean by business friendly laws and why do... Because this is one of the questions I want to ask is, is why don't other states do it? <laughs> That's a good question. There are some other states doing it. I think like Nevada and Montana, I think, are trying mm-hmm. to catch up. Um, but Delaware has just always been that way. Their secretary of state uh, lets you do pretty much anything. Like you can get any form that you need within 24 hours, I think. It's expensive, though. I mean, it's really yeah. expensive. Yeah. Um, but everything they've done has just been friendly to businesses. And the, and the Delaware business courts have been friendly to businesses. So everyone just kind of defaulted there. And I don't know that it will ever change because it, it, hmm. it is what it is. And when you're in law school, you learn your state's laws plus Delaware because Again, everybody is in Delaware. But there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do that. If you, I mean, if you are in Y Combinator and you're really about to close a million dollar deal, sure. yeah. You but that's not, mo- that's not most businesses, though. No, I mean, right, right. I, I think it's like 1%, maybe it was 5%, I forget, of businesses ever raise any venture capital. It's insanely small, the number right. of businesses that actually do it. And I'll tell you, most people think they're doing it, but most people who actually close deals, significantly smaller. So what happens is if you incorporate in Delaware and then it turns out that you can't raise money for whatever reason or it takes you a lot longer to do so, um, or maybe you pivot along the way and realize you don't need to raise money, being in Delaware can actually be bad for you. It's going to cost you a lot more money. money. The structure is going to be a bit more complicated. And really, for the vast majority of businesses out there, an LLC in your home state is the easiest way to go. And the cool thing is, say, like, so for example, I've got a side business and we're probably not going to ever raise money, but there's three of us that own it here in Missouri and um, it's a Missouri LLC. Mm-hmm. And if I ever need to raise money or go public or do whatever, I could always create a Delaware C Corp and merge my business into it. Gotcha. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um so if there's a lot of reasons why it's easier just to start out as an LLC. And some VCs are actually investing in LLCs more so than they used to. I mean, I think the general wisdom is that they'd still prefer to invest in a uh, C-Corp, mainly for tax reasons. When okay. you're in a C-Corp, you don't have to get a K-1, you don't report profits and so on. But at least you don't report them in the same way. So C-Corps are still easier for investors, but I'll say that more and more people are willing to invest in LLCs, especially if you only need to do one round of money and your money's coming from your home state. You know, it, it, an LLC is not a bad option. So like we said, freelancers, like startups, and let's say small businesses like restaurants, most scenarios, LLC would be an appropriate legal status for- Oh, for- yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, I'd say unless you need to raise capital 
that's kind of it. Unless you need to raise capital or unless you have some really complicated ownership structure. Uh, and LLC is really kind of the easiest way to go. It's it's inexpensive. You have a lot of flexibility. You can choose how you want to be taxed. Um, if you're just a freelancer or a local small business, there's not very many reasons why you would pick anything other than an LLC. Now, you might choose to be uh, an S-Corp, but yeah. that, an S-Corp is not actually a business entity. It's just a tax classification. Okay. And both LLCs and corporations can elect to be taxed as an S-Corp. And that gets really deep in the weeds of whether or not you should do that. Right. Um, the very short answer is if you're making so much money that you're making more than a reasonable salary for your position and you have a ton of profit, making an S-Corp election can save you a bunch of money uh, in taxes. Gotcha. Um, but there's some restrictions there and some reasons why you may not want to do it. Um, so most of my clients, including myself, we start out as a, an LLC taxed as, and this gets even more deep, but you're either taxed as a sole proprietor or as yep. a partnership. You start out that way. And then after a couple of years, if your income is going up, you make the change over to be an S-Corp. Only after talking to a, an accountant and preferably both an accountant and a lawyer. A big question that I have, and I think you know, most people maybe have just because we're going into this new new era, right? Where a lot of people are going to be starting side businesses, right? Or a lot of mm-hmm. people, yeah. maybe they got laid off, and and they're kind of like, hey, this is the perfect time actually to start what I wanted to do all along, right? Except remember, there's never a perfect time. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but um, I know what you mean. But a totally good time right. would be is like when you're getting paid to like not yeah, work yeah. Is, is a great time to do it. Maybe there's a there's a better time, and that might be one. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but. When I guess maybe maybe the perfect like legal stack right for a person that is okay I'm a web developer right and I've been have some clients on the side or I'm a graphic designer I have some clients on the side or whatever but I really want to do this full time and again there's a there's not just a legal stack because then you have like proposals or statements of work or if you actually hire a freelancer like you need like these W nines and all these different like forms like that so is there like a like a bundle of things that you would tell a person, like let's just say the web developer example, they come to you and say, hey, I'm starting <clears throat> my own little little company, um, web developer, ABC or whatever. Would it be a, a sole proprietorship, right? Is all LOCs, there's a de- designation, right? Of sole proprietor or mm-hmm. corporation or something like that. And that's taxed differently, I think, right? So the way to look at it is when you're starting a business, um, there's really three main ways you're likely to do it today. There's actually like 20, but Sure. there's only like three that you're likely to pick. One is sole proprietorship, which is just you're doing it under your own name. So you say, hey, my name is Chris Brown. I'll build your website. You pay me five grand. And from a tax perspective, it's simple. You just simply pay taxes on whatever revenue comes in through that sole proprietorship. But you're also liable for everything that happens through the company. So if you have subcontractors or employees working under you, you're going to be personally liable. So most professional freelancers do not choose sole proprietorship. Uh, You could choose corporation, but there's not many reasons why you would do that as a freelancer. In my 10 years of experience, I think I've only had one person actually do that. And they had some weird retirement planning situation going on. So and it worked for them. So that's fine. The vast majority of freelancers I work with choose to be an LLC. Okay. Um, and so getting kind of to your question, when you're an LLC, you can choose how you want to be taxed. And there's four options. And again, the most popular for a freelancer would be either sole proprietorship tax, even though you're an LLC, you just still get taxed that way. Correct. Um, yeah. Or you could choose an S-Corp uh, tax structure gotcha. if it makes sense to. But the LLC itself for a freelancer is but so the irs calls that disregarded they're going to mostly ignore the llc for income purposes and they'll say okay you made 100 grand and you spent 
uh, 20. So your income's 80 grand and they're going to tax you on that 80 grand. They're gotcha. going to treat that full 80 grand as your money. It's actually in terms, simplified, which is great a little bit, right? Well, it's actually really simple. Yeah. 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 Uh, an LLC taxed as a sole proprietor, which is how I see most freelancers operating, is fairly straightforward. At the end of the year, you just simply add up your income and you subtract your expenses and you generate a profit or loss statement and give that to your accountant. And then they can take that and fill out what's called a Schedule C to your personal tax return. Mm -hmm. And then that Schedule C just has a number at the bottom and it's either your profit or your loss. And then you either pay income taxes on the profit or if it's a loss, you can write it off in various ways. Um, so, you know, it, I'm saying it's easy, you know, day to day sure. it can get complicated. But, sure. but yeah, to, back to your question about the stack, create an LLC, obtain an EIN, which is an employer identification number from the IRS. Mm -hmm. Fill out your W-9, which is what you give to people if they're going to pay you more than 600 bucks a year. And then uh, the other two items that are really important, actually maybe three items. One is insurance. If um, mm. Depending on what you're doing, you may need some kind of professional liability insurance, errors and omissions. You might need general liability if what you're doing is physical in nature. But then the other two things are contracts. So you need a good client agreement and a good subcontractor agreement. The client agreement is easy to understand. It's the agreement you sign when you take on a new client. It says they're going to pay you and you're going to do the work and then a yep. whole bunch of other yep. uh, legal stuff. And I'm happy to talk through that too. And then the subcontractor agreement's the exact same, just flipped. It's you're hiring somebody and you're going to pay them and they're going to perform services for you plus a bunch of legal terms. And that's it. So what I tell people, freelancers, is you should meet with a lawyer, uh, get your business side set up, get some contract templates in place, get your LLC formed, and then go meet with an accountant and get your accounting side set up and get some kind of online tax software like Xero uh, or FreshBooks or QuickBooks. Um, once you have all that structure in place, the stack, as you might call it, you can usually run your business on your own day to day. And yep. then go back to your lawyer and your accountant just when you need them. You know, it, you don't have to spend a fortune. You could probably do the meeting with an accountant for between 500 and 1,000 bucks. Uh, same thing for a lawyer. You know, I charge $450 for a single member LLC. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Plus the state fee, of course. So, you know, you're looking at like a thousand bucks just to get the two people to help you get things up and running. Yep. And then your stack is good and you can just start operating. Yeah. I use FreshBooks. I mean, it costs mm -hmm. like 25 bucks a month, but like it's everything, right? I mean, they do the profit yeah. loss statement at the end of the year. As long as you could take a picture of the receipt or just may, like just log it in. Yeah. I mean, as long as you get consistent with it, right? And kind of, you know, do it every yeah. day. It's really, I mean, literally. That can like, take a while. I, I just do, if I, if I buy a coffee, right? I put it in. If I buy a year worth of like a software tool i put it in right i mean I yeah think it's exactly just, it's yeah. just getting being consistent about doing doing those things um, yeah and and it took me a couple of years to get good at that to get good at the consistency of doing it um, 100%. i'm a lawyer and i totally understand all of it but even took me a while um but i'm at a point now where i pay myself a regular salary i take distributions okay. on a regular schedule okay. Okay. every other monday every other monday i run my books uh, the first of the month, I do an invoice check. I usually invoice throughout the month as I complete projects, but every every end of the month, I do a quick check to see if there's any hourly things sitting in there. My point is I have a system and a schedule that I follow now yep. that I did not have on day yeah. one <laughs> or, or even on day 366. Um, <laughs> but uh, once I got my schedule down, man, it's easy. You know, It yeah. takes me like 10 minutes every other week to balance my books. Um, it's so easy. And I put a lot of things on autopilot. I, FreshBooks doesn't have this feature yet, but I know they're working on adding it, which is bank rules so that when you're reconciling mm. your books, you can say any transaction that comes from Google that's $12, you assume it's a domain name purchase 
and yes. uh, automatically match it. So a better example is like email. I pay $6 a month, you know, for GC. Email, yeah. And so uh, every month I get that $6 bill. Actually, it's more because I've got like five different emails. But um, but anyway, it just matches it for me automatically. So literally all I have to do is just click OK. And I have the rules set up to where if it increases, it'll tell me. So like my parking expenses went up by like two bucks this month when my lease renewed. And so it flagged it for me and I knew, hey, something's wrong. So they increased my rate. But then I just updated the rule because I knew the increase was coming. I just forgotten about it. Anyway, no, when I, you do these things, it makes life so much easier. No, it does. there's so much good technology out there. It's only getting better, right? To where I think yeah. that, I think uh, uh, the decision for a lot of people, I think, whether it's a startup or a freelancer, is that it's going to be like so demanding to do all the other stuff, right? Not just the work. The work's hard mm-hmm. enough, right? The client works hard mm-hmm. enough. But then having to deal with like, all the expense side and, you know, having like all these apps that are working together. Oh, I got to get a domain name. Got to get an email address. I got to get, whether it's like PayPal or Stripe set up, right. For, for billing and like accepting payments. And mm-hmm. there's, there is this setup process that can be a little bit grueling, right? Yeah. It could all be done in a day. Really. It's just, again, yeah. you have to know Good. what you're doing and go out and get those products and set everything up. But, you know, I mean, yeah. But back to what we were saying earlier, if you can do some moonlighting before you quit your job, right. you know, yeah. if you can spend six months working on just say five clients, you know, five yep. projects in six months, you can learn those things piece by piece. So when it comes time to build them, you can say, oh, I have to bill. How do I do that? And then you can go sign up for PayPal or Stripe and integrate it and kind of do it step by step um, so that when you're then going full time, you already have your system in place. I know where your expertise like in Missouri, but I'm sure maybe you follow like other states and stuff. And obviously the, you know, we're talking about sort of freelancers and, and the ability for, for people to start businesses pretty rapidly now and, and, and do it much. There's just more people doing it, right? Do, do you see maybe not laws changing, but maybe like stuff being enacted in states where they look at a specific entity, right? We said LLC, uh, for sole proprietor or partnership, but do you ever foresee maybe like a legal status for this particular type of person, right? Where it's like, it's just a sole entrepreneur and maybe there are some tax benefits for some things or, or maybe an easier way to even streamline all this to where governments and states realize that, you know, a small business is no longer just a restaurant, right? Or, mm-hmm. or a local flower shop, right? It's actually just one person from their laptop. Is there a different is there, is there better laws that can be created? And maybe we could just talk about Missouri, you know, just because you're embedded in that. But yeah. is there anything like that that you think can be improved? There's lots of things that could be improved. <laughs> um, so I'm licensed in both Missouri and Kansas. Uh, but yeah, I do follow laws in other states. I, unfortunately, I'd say we're actually kind of going the opposite direction in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, so an LLC is a state creature. So every state has their own LLC laws. Gotcha. Um, some states have a thing called series LLCs. Other states have things called B Corps, you know, a benefit corporation. Benefit, yeah. So it takes a long time for any state to do anything like that. And when I say I kind of think we're going backwards is because you've got laws in California, this whole AB5 law that got passed, which is making it harder to be a freelancer. Hmm. Um, the, the law is aimed at companies like Uber to try to make them classify all their drivers Correct. as employees. And, you know, there's a good argument to be made that maybe their drivers should be classified as employees. Uh, So, you know, I don't want to debate that. But what I will debate is they made the law apply to pretty much any freelancer. Which trickles down to just, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, not just what you might call like the gig economy people. Right. Um, And so they tried to address the gig economy workforce 
mm. and instead address the entire freelance workforce. And so, for example, a writer who writes freelance for a newspaper or a magazine, if they write something like more than five articles a year, I think is the cutoff, then hmm. the magazine the magazine has to treat them as an employee. And wow. so now the magazines are saying, well, that's too much for us to handle. So of we're course. just going to limit all of our writers to five articles a year. Well, then that means the freelancer has to go out there and get more clients to get more income. And it, it's having an awful effect. And there's a federal law that has been proposed that might do the same thing. And I think that would be oh, a disaster. Gosh, that would be awful. Um, so while I agree we need to make sure freelancers are taken care of, I don't think we should go so far as to make it harder to actually operate a freelance business. Right. I would love to see some kind of, an, I should say this will never happen, at least not in my lifetime, but I would love to see some kind of federal level entity or an entity that you can form like off, offshore or, or in the cloud. God, that would be amazing. Mm, like a a cloud, cloud LLC? Oh, um, cloud LLC. I mean, Let's see if that domain name is available. <laughs> uh, wouldn't that just be so much easier to have everybody in the country that wants to choose to operate like this to be able to opt into some simplified business structure that provides no liability and allows you to do the tax advantages of the IRS? Like, that'd be great. That's not going to happen. But I will say operating as a sole proprietor LLC is really not that hard. I, for people who aren't trained in it, I get how it can be extremely complicated. But once you get up and running, it's not that hard. You it, At most, your state might have an annual report requirement. Uh, like Kansas does for LLCs, but Missouri does not for LLCs. Mm -hmm. uh, but even if you do, it's a filing you make once a year that costs 20 bucks. That's easy. Then you've got taxes, which can be complicated. But honestly, for most freelancers, like you were just saying, you save you know, your meal receipts, you save your computer expense receipts. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the year, you just add up the money you made and subtract your expenses. And that's what you pay taxes on. And it's not that hard as long as you set it up and keep track of it from day one. It is a decent amount of work, though, for the first year or two while you're learning it. I mean, I, I'm not saying that this is extremely easy, but um, it's nowhere near as hard as people might think it is. I think your point was was really was really well. Like with Uber, I think that that whole thing has unintended consequences because not everybody's Uber, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's it's ridiculous to say that to 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 make a law that that translates for a 30 billion market cap company and then it's going to affect mm -hmm. you know a company that makes you know $300,000 in revenue a year or something like that. Like that is yeah. a federal law like that would I can't imagine the damage that that would do if it actually oh, it would be awful. came into effect and and really, mm -hmm. I mean I, I can't imagine what, what that would do. But back to I think the the features for like freelancers like legally I think look I mean there's actually bad things that can happen. And right now it's actually pretty decent, right? LLC, set it up sole proprietor or however you want to do it. That That is actually good enough, I think, right Right now. We don't need to make it worse. <laughs> if there's ways mm -hmm. we can make it better, let's make it better. But I think on the, the other side of things is, and again, I know it might not be your expertise, but I don't know if you if you hear things just from in, in your network about, I think like health insurance for freelancers is, is also like an interesting dynamic because- that's just such a wild, wild west of, of difficulty, mm -hmm. right? And and obviously, like the Affordable Care Act, you can kind of purchase your, your insurance, you know, through that. But is there, or like you said, California passed something, is there is there states that, that are maybe looking at, at the legal entities for LLCs to where it's easier for like freelancers to get other benefits as corporations do get, like like 401ks, right? There's, there's kind of not these, these mm -hmm. things set up for, you know, freelancers, solo entrepreneurs, like there are for just companies that have maybe five employees. Yeah. I don't know if it's so much a state regulation issue. Uh, I mean, a, 
uh, an LLC can have a 401k, they can do benefit plans. Mm -hmm. The issue more so is just the fact that you're a sole person, right? You don't have a company. So a lot of the benefit plans will only let you join if you have two or more people or sometimes even more. Mm -hmm. uh, healthcare, uh, the Kauffman Foundation, which is the world's largest, I think, uh, entrepreneurship foundation, has released a lot of data that shows that we need to get healthcare uh, separated from employment in America because it's a drain on entrepreneurship. When you when you realize you're going to lose your healthcare if you quit your job, you're less likely to actually quit and start a business. Right. Uh, I'm lucky because I get my healthcare through my wife's company, so that made it a lot easier for us when right. I was quitting. But that's a serious issue. The best answer we have right now for that is to join something like WeWork or Freelancers Union. But there's organizations that you can join and get healthcare through their organizations. It's expensive, though. It's certainly right. not cheap, but that's usually the easiest way to do it. But I think healthcare is one of the hardest things for freelancers to figure out. Uh, and then, of course, you're right. You could always go on, like, on the public exchange and buy it. Um, it's also expensive there. But I, I think having a public exchange is a really good thing for entrepreneurship. The other option you have is you can sign up for an account with like Trinet or, or I shouldn't say public. There's a few different benefit companies out there that you can run your payroll through and then you get access to their healthcare plans, their retirement plans, you know, all those various things. Interesting. Uh, I think that stuff's getting better. I think private industry is starting to recognize that yeah. freelancers need these things and that there's money to be made there. You know, half of the American workforce will be freelance by 2027. So that's only seven years away from now. So yeah. we're talking about something like 60 to 80 million freelancers. There's a market there. And so it's just a matter of figuring out how to make it profitable so that private industry will go after it. The other thing you touched on a little bit early on was IP um, mm -hmm. and, and sort of copyright and trademark. I think it, it's sort of not, it's certainly something I never thought about early, like very early on. Like I was, it was just not on my radar, right? Is that something you would recommend for early stage, like founders and freelancers, solo entrepreneurs to do right out the gate is to get that trademark, get that copyright or, or IP, yeah, whatever you want to depends. talk about. Yeah, it depends on the area of IP. So there's basically four areas. Patents, which primarily protect inventions, mm -hmm. which may or may not matter depending on what you're doing. Most service-based freelancers don't worry about patents too much. Then you've got trade secrets, which protect confidential information. However, uh, confidential info is usually best protected using a non-disclosure agreement. Mm -hmm. So to the mm -hmm. extent you have confidential information when you're first starting out, yeah, you should probably use an NDA to try to protect it. Uh, the other two are trademarks and copyright, and they they're more applicable to most freelancers. Uh, trademarks protect your branding elements, and it's nice to file a federal trademark up front, but it, it's going to cost you a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for example, it's about fifteen hundred dollars or so when I do it for a client, and it takes a while. So a lot of freelancers choose not to do that on day one because you can protect your name under the common law. So if you start using a name in commerce, someone else copies it. You can, in theory, go to court and stop them from using it if they're competing against you using the same name. I mean, it gets a little bit more complicated than that, but you don't have to file a trademark, although it's a really good idea to do so. The more important thing around trademark law is to do your research. Try to pick a name that nobody else is already using and also try to pick a name that's not descriptive of your legal services. You know, I've got a trademark, but I had to disclaim the word legal because I can't own the word legal right. in connection to selling legal services because nobody else could do it. And that's that would clearly not make sense. So I put a disclaimer on my application saying I don't claim ownership of legal. Uh, but anyway, so you make sure it's not descriptive, make sure nobody else is using it, because if you adopt a name that someone else has already been using on a similar good or service, then you might someday have to change your name. And that would be unfortunate. So the number one thing to do in terms of uh, trademark law for a new freelancer is just to make sure that you do your research, that you don't pick a name that's already in use. 
and, that, and then that's trademark.com or something like you can search. Can you search? Uh, they might have like something that? there. I'm not sure. It, what I'd say is go to the USPTO website, okay. USPTO.gov. Okay. Uh, gov. That's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And you can run a trademark search in there. The downside is you can only search so much. I mean, sure. when I run a trademark search, I use a company that searches alternate spellings and all kinds of things. Right. I right. mean, you could do all that yourself, but that would take you hours or days. Hmm. Um, so anyway, that's trademark. The other area that's important is copyright. So for a lot of service professionals, copyright's a big deal. If you're making websites, writing computer code, marketing plans, whatever, that's all protectable under the Copyright Act. And the biggest thing to know there hmm. is who owns what you're working on, like who, who owns what you're creating. The default rule is that the person who makes it is the owner. Okay. And there's really three ways that that, that could be uh, changed. One is if you assign it to somebody. So you take out a piece of paper and say, I, Chris, assign intellectual property or the copyright to this to grant. You know, that's easy. Right. The other one right. is if you're an employee. So if you're employed somewhere, your employer likely owns the copyright to anything you create within your scope of employment. And that one's kind of easy to see too. The third one is a little bit more complicated, which is what happens when an independent contractor creates something that's copyrightable. Uh, and when I say independent contractor, that's just a freelancer. Mm -hmm. So by default, the freelancer will own the copyright. But of course, the client usually wants to own it or at least get a right to use it. So that's where your contract comes into play. And it's really important for every freelancer to document copyright ownership in their freelancer agreement. And it could go to the client. It could go to you. It could be licensed. It could be divided in two. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, but that's the copyright angle. Uh, the, you know, Again, the most important thing for copyright uh, for new freelancers is just to know who owns whatever it is that you're creating. Hmm. I guess it, it it's kind of I know this is a, it's a, it's sort of a it's sort of a different realm, right? But like, and I don't know the the terms that like at like these platforms, right? Like like YouTube or something, right? Does the own does the creator own it, right? Does does YouTube own like a percentage of it at all, or does? And I know there's like these Creative Commons sort of copyright distinguishes for like images or, or it, there's all kind of these different like open source languages where you could use this photo right but like you can't sell the photo right and make money from it but you can use it for like your mm -hmm. blog and stuff like this right so i guess it's is that a state thing too is copyright laws really well, good question no uh, most uh intellectual property is a federal issue okay. so it's uniform across the country it, you, you dove into a bunch of different issues there but generally speaking if you upload a video to youtube they won't be able to claim ownership of it but they do get a right to use it uh, right. for their terms of service because if they didn't have mm. the right to display it and perform it they would be committing copyright infringement uh the creative commons license issues are really interesting and for that, you just really just have to make sure you comply with whatever license is stamped on it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, but these issues can get extremely complicated. But the good news there is it's all federal. So there's only one state of one section of laws that you have to worry about. Uh, trademarks, there are some state trademark issues, but for the most part, it's a federal issue. Patents and copyright are all federal. And then trade secrets dealing with confidential information. There is a national uh, federal trade secret act. But then there's also a bunch of independent uh, state acts. So that one can kind of go both ways. I usually like to, to end on just maybe like like the future a little bit. And I, I know that there's some there's some uncertain times right now for, for a lot of different like people and whether it's founders or freelancers, they're kind of going through, you know, a bit of turmoil, right? Where, where clients have to leave because they can't pay or if they're in a specific business, their business could be, be booming, right? So mm -hmm. um, what do you, I guess maybe from the legal side of things for like freelancers or things like that, we touched on a little bit of it, but what do you see over the next like three to five years from a legal framework for, even if it's just 
on a state level or federal level, like what do you think happens and maybe what do you, what would you like to see happen, you know, in that five year range? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I see a lot happening at the state level in terms of regulatory change. I do see some city stuff happening where cities are trying to make it easier for entrepreneurs to open up new businesses, whether mm -hmm. you're a freelancer or not. Uh, it's a slow process though. What I will say is that it's easier today than ever to be a freelancer. There's so many online tools like we've kind of already talked about. If you wanted to open a freelance business 20 or 30 years ago, it would have been significantly harder. The technology mm -hmm. just wasn't there, but I can operate my entire back office for less than $100 a month in terms of email, yep. accounting, e-signatures, all that stuff. Um, and in the legal world, um, this is kind of a self-plug here, but you know, there's legal tools out there that are making it easier too. So I've got this program called Contract Canvas Love that yep. uh, we all created so that freelancers can create their own client agreements on our website. So you go there, answer some quick questions. We create a version of the contract that I call a human version. So it's designed for humans and not lawyers. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, you create it, you send it to your client, they review it online, they say, sign it online, you sign it, we save it to your dashboard. And then in the future, we can integrate and sync with other services like accounting programs and uh, project management software. So, you know, there's a bunch of online options that make it easier for freelancers to do their legal stuff online. With that said, I still think it's worth it to meet with a lawyer up front, even if all you do is sit down for an hour and just kind of talk through all these issues because getting a one-on-one -on -one legal advice for an hour will make your life so much easier in terms of operating your uh, freelance business. And then, you know, go back to the lawyer as needed. You don't have to go back every week or every month. You don't even have to go back every time you sign a new client agreement, but at least go at least once and talk to a lawyer so you have the basic understanding and then maybe you do the rest of it on your own. Okay, this is the last one, I promise. Talk a little bit about sure. Contract Canvas because I, I, I love this sort of idea. I was talking to actually a friend the other day. Uh, he was thinking of doing something similar, but for like, uh, you know, digital marketing templates, right? Like having where you pay for a monthly fee and you can download like this email drip sequence, right? That he created or, or other templates in regard to digital marketing. And is that sort of what contract canvas is where it's like for a monthly fee, you get access to these different, these different forms you could use. So kind, kind of, we're experimenting with different monthly plans, but yes, the idea is that you subscribe and pay some fee either monthly or annually. Okay. And then what you get is access to the platform. And today the platform is you create a contract using our wizard. So you tell us, you know, who's going to own the intellectual property, for example. Mm -hmm. And depending on what answers you choose, you get different language in the contract. And then we also have fields where you can customize and type in whatever language you want in case we didn't cover some piece of it. Uh, then you tell us like, you know, are you going to charge hourly or fixed fees and so on and tell us how you get paid. And then we generate the contract for you that you can preview and sign online. And But we right now we only do one type of contract, which is a client agreement. And okay. we're only focused on creative professionals, but that's a pretty big field. What yeah. we want to do in the near future is add a subcontractor agreement. You know, earlier I mentioned the freelancer needs two contracts, a mm -hmm. client agreement and a subcontractor agreement. So if we can capture those two and probably throw in a non-disclosure agreement as well, right. we'd be able to capture the vast majority of what freelancers need from a contract perspective. So it's similar to what you said, but it's not really downloadable templates. Uh, I do sell downloadable templates on my website, though, where you can yep. just pay yep. you know, 200 bucks and just download a client agreement, for example. Yep. Um, but that's kind of a different service than an ongoing subscription, of course. This one is you actually create it based on the the specific thing that you're doing. Cause it can't be different yeah. than just a boilerplate. Yeah. yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. And there's other software like LegalZoom, Rocket Lawyer. They do the same idea as what we're doing. We're not necessarily new. Right. What, makes us, what makes us better is that we've created a better formatted contract 
and it's hyper-focused on creative professionals. So we're not doing everything. We'll never create wills and trusts, you know? We're right. always going to be hyper-focused on one little niche area. And, listen, like at the end of the day, like, yeah, Rocket Lawyer, LegalZoom could do all these things, but, like, you can't just, like, email them, right? Like, or, like, there's a chat bot on mm-hmm. there, but it's, like, mm-hmm. it's just so much better to actually, like, email a person that you know too, right? And it's, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I find that much better to do. So I, I still think that, there's a place to compete with those massive giants, right? Just because oh, yeah. it's much yeah. more of a human interaction. So, well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, Absolutely. I know we're all we're all a little busy in our in our daily lives these days, and you know, allocating time from, for this to to speak to others about you know a lot of this stuff is is much appreciated, man. I, I know I know a lot of people will appreciate it. So uh, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. I always like talking to uh, fellow entrepreneurs about these topics. So.